When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. Doug Maurice from Cleveland.com. Something a little different today. Big, heavy Michigan, Ohio State talk. And for that, I'm bringing in two guys who understand both sides of the program. Most of the time when we talk here, me and Nathan and Steven, we understand Ohio State football. Lots of times we'll have on people who understand Michigan football, right? Michigan beat writers. Sometimes we'll have on national people who have an overview of everything. Not many people are sort of like have been inside both programs from a journalistic perspective. So that's what we're doing here. We're going to dive in on does Jim Harbaugh have the wrong approach to the rivalry what can he change? It's not really about like on the field recruiting as much and that kind of thing. More about the approach right now. And to do that, we have Kyle Rowland and Dave Briggs of the Toledo Blade. Um, Rowland is the Ohio State beat writer for the Blade, but he was the Michigan beat writer before. And Briggs, everything in Toledo straddles both programs. So he's a really good columnist who writes about both. So they're my friends. They're fun to talk to. And we have a really, really, really good Michigan discussion in relation to the Buckeyes. So you guys know about the Ohio State side of this, but what's up with Michigan? That's what we're doing on this podcast. So I'll give you a quick reminder. Read us at cleveland.com slash OSU. Try the texts. 14-day free trial. uh, 614-350-3315. Drop a review at Apple Podcasts. We'll get back with Stephen and Nathan soon, but this is just me and Dave and Kyle digging in on this stuff because I really wanted to hear what they had to say. I think you guys are going to like it. So thanks, as always, for listening to Buckeye Talk, the Big Wednesday pod. Then Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, shorter but still pretty long podcasts dealing with stuff that you care about with Ohio State football. Buffalo preview coming next Wednesday. Lots of stuff next week. This is your Friday pod. Get ready for Briggs and Roland. I'm Doug Maurice. Here we go on Buckeye Talk. All right, so we're welcoming in Kyle Rowland and David Briggs, and, and the reason that we're having them on is that a couple weeks ago we had Nick Petrovich on from the Toledo Blade, and I on that podcast said that he was the best sports writer at the Blade and that Rowland and Briggs were hacks. And a couple days later I got a text message from Kyle Rowland that said, F you and your podcast. So I want to make it clear <laughs> that I think Kyle – and Dave are really good at their jobs. Um, among the people who, when they write about Ohio State, I care what they write. At the top of the list are Ari and Bill and Kyle and David. So, like, I, we joke around. I'm a jerk. Everybody knows that I'm a jerk. But I don't <laughs> want people to think I actually think the guys at the Blades are hacks. So, Roland, that's what you were communicating to me when you texted me, F you and your podcast. Yeah, I mean, I – you might like my, me, but I definitely do not share uh, the feelings. Not mutual. Uh, there's, there's probably no one in this business that I dislike more than you. Oh God, Briggs, come on, man, bring it, Briggs. And by the way, both of you recent award-winning Ohio sports writers, right? You guys are just racking up awards. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've won so many that I honestly have just lost track. And I. I haven't won an award in like 15 years since I got hired here. Briggs, what are you like, the 15-time Ohio columnist of the year? You crush me on this stuff. Oh, 15, 15 straight, Region 18 of Ohio, Tier 2 category, 
back-to-back-to-back winner. Very proud of it. When's the last time you even submitted an award, Doug? I, I, I think I submit every year, and I don't get squashed. Yeah, huh? Well, you're FWAA president. You can't be. I mean, that's conflict of interest. Come on. Yeah, you can rig the FWAA awards this year. That's the only reason that I agreed to be the president. <laughs> By the way, I currently, as they mentioned, I am the current Football Writers Association of America president. It's May. I've done nothing. Literally nothing. The world is on <laughs> fire. There are football writers across America looking for leadership, looking for someone to offer them some, uh, some words, some empathy in these difficult times. I am absolutely absent. <laughs> so by the way, Doug, before we, before we go on here, if there are empty stadiums this year, if we have worst case scenario, we have to play football with no fans. As FWA president, are you going to advocate for us to be in the press box this year? We're going to be cramming in there, putting our lives on the line to cover these Buckeyes? Um, I say we we all boycott, right? I mean, just (laughs) if the fans can't be there, we're not going to be there, but we also demand to be paid at the same time (laughs) we're not going. That's my platform and I'm sticking to it. See, I don't know. I don't have an actual answer to that. These are actual difficult questions that I might have to opine on. We are having a meeting like next week with like the sports information director group to figure out like potential social distancing in the press box. Um, Cause I cough all the time, 24 <laughs> hours a day, 12 months a year. So I know people like you guys don't want me sitting near you coughing all over you. Right. We got to be six feet away. Got masks, a huge press box. We'll be fine. Yeah. Buckeye masks and Scarlet and gray go bucks. Um, all right. So what we are doing here, the reason that we're having you guys on is just so that first of all, so that people know that I actually, I, I, think you're good sports writers and i'm just i'm just joking around sometimes i forget that the things we text each other when i send them out into the world people may not know that i'm kidding i think kyle and david are good but you guys know both sides of the rivalry right in a way that most of us don't i certainly don't roland you covered michigan for like a year or two briggs you are the columnist straddling the rivalry in toledo so what i want to get into here is the differences between Ohio State and Michigan right now, and not just like, oh, what are the recruiting rankings and that kind of thing, but like the vibes of the program. So, Kyle, as a baseline here, what were the year year or years that you covered Michigan? You were the beat writer? 2016, 17, and 18. Okay. And then so – The glory years of the Harbaugh era. Okay. You went to Rome, for God's sakes. You went to Rome with Michigan. And Paris. And you went to Paris too? What a freaking boondoggle. Um, <laughs> what baseline? What is the difference in the vibe around the program from a sports writer's perspective? However you want to describe that. Just sort of like interacting with the players and the coaches. Is one side looser than the other? Is one side, um, I don't know, like – more wound up? Are they? Are they, do are do players act the same? Do they have the same sort of amount of freedom with the press? What's what's it like, Michigan versus Ohio State? I think most of the season, it's it's the same. I mean, guys are loose. I think most players these days, regardless of the program, it's fun is kind of the atmosphere of a lot of these programs. I think there is a very noticeable difference, though, the week of the game. And I think that comes from Jim Harbaugh. And he's just embraced the Ohio State game in a weird way, um, the way it's emphasized or not emphasized enough, a lot of Michigan people would say. Um, I mean, his press conferences, if you see them the week of the Ohio State game, they're weird. And just how he answers his questions, how he avoids questions, he doesn't embrace it at all. Like, this is a guy who – had one of the great moments in the history of the Ohio State-Michigan rivalry. He grew up in it with his dad coaching at Michigan. Obviously, he idolizes Bo Schembechler and Woody Hayes, which a lot of Michigan fans don't want to realize. But now as coach, he just acts like it's not a big deal and this isn't the greatest you know, rivalry in college sports. And I don't know. I think it's really weird. And I think players do feed off their coaches. I mean, I think it – Every level, that's how it is. And I think Michigan's players are like that the week of the Ohio State game. And obviously, Ohio State is better than Michigan. So 
I don't know if all of a sudden they would have won like two or three games if Jim Harbaugh treated the game differently. But I absolutely believe that it plays into, you know, how some of these games go. I think those those press conferences are fascinating. I remember in 2015, we were really looking forward to the first Harbaugh Michigan Week, Ohio State Week press conference, and he gets these softball questions. I remember Wojo, the great columnist for the Detroit News, just lobbing, just, you know, just asking him, hey, reflect on what this game has meant to your childhood and as a player, and Harbaugh is just kind of three or four-word answers. Yeah, it's a big game. It means a lot. And, you know, when the Columbus media came up, I remember Rob Aller, the Columbus Dispatch columnist, came up a couple of years ago, and it was just cringeworthy, him trying to get anything out of Harbaugh, and he was kind of just needling him, asked, trying to be lighthearted with him, and that was just the last possible way to go in, uh, in any way. And any time the Columbus media asks any questions that week, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty amusing. But, yeah, it's just a very, a very strange vibe. The players embrace it more, certainly. Um, we even got the, the Karan Higdon kind of guarantee, uh, kind of baited into it a little bit. But it's just a very strange vibe up there, at least that week. Why? So, like, we know that Jim Harbaugh obviously has a different kind of personality. What you guys are describing, is it strategic? Is he just unable to embrace it? Again, this is the guy who made the famous guarantee and backed it up as a quarterback. Is he, like – reacting to that and trying to go the opposite way like can, is is he doing this with a purpose or is can he just not help himself this is how he does it <laughs> I, I mean it has to be some sort of purpose because uh, his personality is the same generally the whole season but it's it, he's way more locked up that week and won't be revealing i mean during the, you know, any other week, if they're playing, you know, Wisconsin or Minnesota, you can ask him questions, and he and he will give some good answers sometimes. But I mean, the week of the highest State game, it's impossible, absolutely impossible. And I I don't really understand why it is because I don't know. It, it doesn't hurt to to em, embrace this type of stuff. And obviously, he could give amazing answers to a lot of these questions because his memories from the seventies and then playing in the game in the eighties and stuff. I mean, it, it just make for, for great conversations. Yeah. And conceivably it could have been part of the strategy in the beginning, but you would think you would adapt and evolve and, and maybe change the, uh, the way you publicly embrace the game. But, but it's interesting because, you know, you look at, you look at other football coaches, obviously during the season, Urban Meyer was especially known for this. If you, if, if it was a huge game week, if you asked him a, a bigger picture question, say some idiot, like me, asked him about, you know, who uh, who are we going to be endorsing for president this year? You know, he might just – his go-to line was always, you know, man, I'm just I'm just thinking about Penn State. I'm just thinking about Penn State. And just would not answer the bigger picture questions during the year. There's, a, there's obviously going to be a certain tightness. But even with Urban Meyer, with Jim Tressel, I mean, they've got everything on their mind Michigan week, but they always – they're always willing to – kind of wax on about what this game means. And, and there certainly is a, I, I don't know, it's very different. Obviously, I don't, when people say Jim Harbaugh doesn't get it, he doesn't embrace it. I mean, that's crazy. Nobody gets the game more than Jim Harbaugh. He just has a crazy, very odd way of showing it. So I, I thought the, the, the comparison that I felt firsthand, I thought, that sounds like this to me is I thought Luke Fickle last season handled the Ohio State-Cincinnati game incredibly poorly. And that the result was that I thought Cincinnati wasn't that good. And then it's like Cincinnati was really good. But Luke Fickle shut down access during the week. He, like, wouldn't let the players talk. He tried to totally avoid it. And then Cincinnati embarrassed itself. I mean, you're not going to come into Ohio Stadium and win. They were not competitive from the kickoff. And Luke was very frustrated after the game. And he didn't know how to handle that situation, and he did it exactly wrong. And what you're describing to me sounds like the same thing, that in the, in the attempt, and Luke said, I'm trying to make, it's just another game. In the attempt to make it another game, everybody knows it's not just another game, and it totally backfires on you. Kyle, do you think this actually, this approach then actually has decreased Michigan's chances of winning on the field because of the way Harbaugh's gone about it. Yeah, I mean, the answer is hard. Like, no, I don't. Like, I don't think – like, their record would probably still be 0-6. Is that what it is? 0-5, whatever it is. Oh. But it, it feels like it has some sort of 
impact. And maybe that's just because, I mean, you talk about John Cooper. Oh, he never understood the game. But, like, there's just other examples where you just – Ohio State and Michigan people say, oh, like, if someone didn't embrace the game, like, that, that's, you know, why they were had bad, poor results or whatever. So, I don't know. I, I don't think – Michigan would have necessarily won or lost games because of it, but it feels like the players, I don't know, maybe their intensity in the game or something is different. I don't know. Briggs, do you think it could change? Like, could could someone tell Harbaugh, hey, man, like, whatever you're doing, I I get maybe where you were coming (laughs) from, but, like, it didn't work. Let's lean into embrace it, tell stories, hang up a clock, whatever, like, let's lean into the rivalry. Would he ever change, or, or, or would he not? Would he not do that, or would 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 he not have someone who would tell him that? Would he not think it himself? Yeah, I mean, I, I just think it's so hard because we don't. I mean, Michigan is as much of a fortress as any program in the country. I have no idea what's going on behind closed doors that week. I'm sure they really are embracing it. I'm sure Harbaugh's people coming in from past teams, giving speeches, firing up the firing up the boys, so to speak. Um, I just want to say something. The, the one thing, I, I mean, I don't know how he was with the 49ers, but, I mean, they, they played in three or four NFC title games and the Super Bowl, obviously. I, I'd be curious to know what he was like during those weeks. Yeah. I think it's interesting. I, th- this narrative kind of began to grow a little bit more last year after Justin Fields, I think, in the postgame press conference kind of just let slide. Yeah, I talked to their guys, and, and they kind of say, yeah, it's you guys just – we don't take it that seriously. It was something along those lines implied. And, and that feels like, I, I don't know what, that feels almost like an excuse that Michigan doesn't want to admit that they're not as talented. So there must be some reason why there's this growing and huge divide that we're seeing between the programs. And it's hard to just admit that they're a lot better than us. And we see that in, you know, their postseason interviews, you know, Chase Winovich a couple of years ago, he says there's no talent differential after Ohio State won by 100 points. And then we see it last year and, you know, it, just kind of those quotes from the players. So I think I think that's going to come more and more. Michigan players are going to, you know, kind of say, well, what's to explain it? We think we're really good. There must be some kind of intangible difference that's uh, that's explaining what's going on here. So I don't buy the narrative that, like Kyle said, that Ohio State is somehow, you know, I'm sure they maybe they do emphasize it more, but that's certainly not why they're winning. I think they clearly emphasize it more. I mean, absolutely. Michigan doesn't have an Ohio State period. They don't have. They do have a countdown clock, but it's a little different. I mean, there's a shrine in the Woody Hayes Athletic Center to the game. It's not like that in Ann Arbor. They, I mean, it's just it's complete insanity of what it is to Ohio. State. I'm not saying it's wrong. But, and I mean, it's something like that like, every, every quarter. Year, Ohio State thinks about Michigan. I don't think Michigan thinks about Ohio State every day. Yeah. And it's just something that saturates every corner of Ohio. I mean, players, players can't escape it. I mean, every Ohio State fan is thinking about Michigan every day of the year. The game means everything to Ohio State fans. It means everything to the state of Ohio. It's not really the case in Michigan. Obviously, it's a huge game. It's their biggest rivalry. But I just don't – there's just not the same intensity that players are feeling every day that you've got to beat Ohio State the way I think Ohio State players – I mean, you come to Ohio State to beat Michigan. I don't know if that dynamic is exactly the same. And I would have thought, right, I mean, if anybody would have emphasized that dynamic, that we are going to think about Ohio State year-round, it would be the guy who was the quarterback who guaranteed a win against Ohio State and played at a time when Michigan was dominating the rivalry. So if you're saying this, if Jim Harbaugh is not doing it, <laughs> then then nobody could do it, right? This is just the way it's going to be and maybe the way it's always been, that Michigan has Michigan State and Notre Dame and Ohio State is their biggest rival but not their only rival, while Ohio State people would say, this is it. Kyle, you sort of disagree. Like, could someone – Let's get beyond Harbaugh because I want to ask some questions about that. But will that will that attitude ever change, or will Michigan now just never have quite the fervor for it that the Buckeyes do? Uh, I mean, I do think there is something to be said for how lopsided it's been and for how long it's been that that maybe some of that fervor has left Michigan at least for the time being. Because um, I mean, I think there definitely is a some resignation within the fan base of 
like we're not even comparing ourselves to Ohio State right now because yeah, they're just the defense so mechanism. Well, whatever. But but I mean, like Lloyd Carr. I mean, Lloyd Carr took that high state game very serious, and he would lob some lines and stuff like that. So I, I don't agree with uh, if Harbaugh doesn't get it, will anyone get it line? All right, so I have theorized this, and it's one of these things I always say, I'm going to write that, and it's like six months later. I didn't write it yet, but I, I've talked about it. I think it's possible that, that Michigan needs its own version of Jim Trestle, and what I mean by that is, when John Cooper replaced Earl Bruce, right, it was old 9-3 and three Earl, but Ohio State as a program wasn't really where it wanted to be as a program. Earl actually had success in the rivalry, but they needed to be better overall. So John Cooper comes in. John Cooper lifted Ohio State in every way except in the Michigan game. But when John Cooper got here, he did not inherit a fully healthy Ohio State program. So I think he had to up the recruiting. He had to start winning – you know, more games in general. Again, this guy went 11-1 and one every year. It's just his loss was to Michigan. So John Cooper had two things to do, raise the level of the program and then also beat Michigan. When Jim Trestle got here, he didn't really have to raise the level of Ohio State football. Yes, Cooper tailed off at the end, but you saw the, the players that he left Jim Trestle. Jim Trestle won a national championship in year two with a lot of John Cooper players. Trestle didn't have to fix everything about Ohio State. He just had to beat Michigan. The comparison to me is when Jim Harbaugh came to Michigan, it was a mess. Michigan was dead. So Harbaugh has now rebuilt Michigan. Michigan's winning 10 games a year. The problem with Michigan right now isn't across the board. It's with winning its rivalry games, specifically Ohio State. So my contention is maybe we thought Harbaugh was going to be like the Trestle, the guy that gets it the guy that gets the rivalry, maybe he's the Cooper who was really good but didn't win the rivalry game, and the next guy is the Trestle. And Harbaugh will have built a very strong foundation for a guy like your guy, Matt Campbell, to come in and be the Jim Trestle and say, listen, Michigan's really healthy, and now we're going after the Buckeyes. Kyle, does that – that comparison at all. You know Ohio State history. You know Michigan history. Not some validity. What do you think of Michigan needing a trestle after Harbaugh? Yeah, I mean, I agree with a lot of what you just said, really. Um, I mean, who knows how long Harbaugh is going to be there or whatever. But, I mean, it seems like the, the program will be in a very good place for the next coach to take over. I do, and I'm not going to go down a big recruiting rabbit hole or anything, but, I mean, I think there are some concerns about what the heck they're doing in recruiting right now. I mean, their, their last few classes, it's just weird how obsessed they are with the, mid, or the Northeast and, and things like that. I mean, I think they potentially could get to a point where they're not as good as they've been. Like, maybe they're not this 10-2 and two program they've become. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I, I agree with a lot of what you said. And um, in the – a lot of Ohio State fans have obviously compared him to Cooper because of the losing uh, to Ohio State. But I don't think people realize how big of a disaster Michigan kind of was. Clearly, Brady Hoke had a lot of talent because that 2016 Michigan team was almost entirely Hoke recruits, and they were really, really good that year. They maybe were better than Ohio State. Um, but, I mean, they were just so dreadful at the end of that. I mean, Michigan Stadium was – very empty for a lot of those games. They were winning, I think they won five games back-to-back years maybe. Um, they were uncompetitive a lot of the time. Um, oddly enough, though, I mean, Brady Hoke always had his team up for the Ohio State game, which Jim Harbaugh has not. Yeah, that 2013 Michigan team was not a good team. They played unbelievably well in the game that Tyvis Powell sealed with the interception. They go for two to win at the end. I mean, that was a, that was a great credit to that Michigan staff, I thought, I mean, it seems like, okay, well, you were really screwing it up during the year because you actually have some dudes here who can play. But they gave Ohio State everything they could handle. Briggs, you know, you guys are best friends with Matt Campbell. Like that, and I'm not in the business. I don't want this to be a podcast about, like, when's Jim Harbaugh going to move to the NFL? Because I know, like, you guys deal and Michigan writers deal with that kind of stuff all the time and nobody knows. But, But do you believe that the next Michigan coach could have greater success against Ohio State? Oh, yeah, without a doubt. And just quickly going back to the last point of I think you can actually argue Brady Hoke was not a good talent developer, not a great, you know, just CEO of a program. But I think you can argue that he left Michigan in a better situation for Jim Harbaugh 
then Jim Harbaugh, if he resigned today for whatever reason, has left it for the next coach solely going back to the recruiting. When you, I mean, that 2016 team was absolutely loaded. In the next draft, they had 14 guys drafted, first-round guys. I mean, that was a team that was better than Ohio State. Um, and I don't know if we can say that with the way Harbaugh has been recruiting lately. He had that early recruiting momentum, but it's kind of tailed off here. He's kind of started to ignore Ohio. We're starting to see a lot of weird three-stars from New England. They're just kind of Don Brown's getting carte blanche and his old – our bunch and his old stomping grounds. It's uh, it's very strange. But yes, I absolutely believe if you had a Matt Campbell, I mean, look at his look at his success against punching against bigger programs out uh, in the Big Twelve. You know, he beat top five Oklahoma team, top ten TCU team. I mean, that's a that's an absolute big game coach if there ever was one. And that's with you know, I mean, that's that's recruiting two, three, two and three star players out at Iowa State. So absolutely, I mean. If you brought in a guy who could be the entire package, emphasize the game, obviously Ohio State would probably still be in a different uh, ballpark recruiting, but I don't see why that they can't be Auburn to Ohio State's Alabama. I mean, Auburn is, you know, similar situation. I mean, they're still going to every now and then, maybe every two, two out of every six years, actually probably even more, they rise up and beat Alabama, especially at home. So I don't see why Michigan can't be that program with the right guy. Can I ask a quick question, Doug? Yeah. So Briggs and I argue about this about 10 times a year. I mean, do you think that Michigan is absolutely one of the what, 15 best programs? Are there no excuses, or is it geographically kind of at a disadvantage? They really haven't been that good the last 30 years, if you truly analyze it, or are there no excuses for them? No, I think there's an excuse, and I think it's possible. I mean, I think just competing north of the Mason-Dixon line is just a different animal now than it was in the 60s or 70s, right? And that, that this would apply to Michigan. It would apply to Notre Dame. It would apply to Nebraska. I mean, it would apply to a lot of programs like that. Now, Notre Dame has jumped up from time to time, right? The whole thing with Michigan is they don't jump up, really. I mean, they almost jumped up in 16, and we know how, you know the spot goes a different way. Michigan might have been a playoff team that year. But I do think Ohio State wins because Ohio State basically is a southern school in Ohio. It operates like a southern school. It recruits like a southern school. It is forward-thinking. Um, it emphasizes football like a Southern school and the, the worm just has turned demographically and just where the power in college football is. So I think Ohio state would have an excuse too. I think anybody in the big 10, anybody in the North would have an excuse. Ohio state has sort of overcome needing an excuse, but I think Michigan does, but I think that means you can't expect Michigan to be a top 10 program every year. I think to try to hold Michigan to a Notre Dame standard where Notre Dame did make the playoff a couple years ago, Notre Dame did play for the national title in 2012, that every five or six years, Notre Dame is legitimately in the national title consideration. I think Michigan could do that. But I don't think – and I think people – you guys, right? I mean, was Michigan ever a national program? Bo didn't win a national title. I mean, Michigan's always been – Ohio State been much more of a national program than Michigan – um, so I would say I get it. Yes, Michigan in the modern era does have an excuse for not being a top 10 program every year. Wh- who's on which side of that debate with you two? I agree with you. Rick no, I'm, 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 more, I'm, not on the side, I'm not on the side of no excuses. I'm on the side of that is completely overblown. I mean, I think if you look at the – I mean, it's absolutely like a top – 11 or 12 job in the country still. I mean, it makes as much money as any program in the country. It has as much, you know, I, I, I absolutely, I, I guess you, you can't argue that they don't emphasize football as much and, and, and I guess in, in that regard, but I think their academic reputation should be a, a great draw in national recruiting. A lot of the, you know, the fans in Michigan will say, you know, Ohio State gets guys that, that wouldn't get into Michigan. That's, that's really not true if you look at the, if you look at their, uh, if you look at the standards at both schools, I just don't think, I mean, if you look at Ohio, I mean, what do they get five or six, seven Ohio kids a year? And then the rest is national recruiting. So the excuse that Ohio is located in this talent hotbed, that is obviously important. You're getting, you're getting a a few big time guys right off the bat there, but then you're going out and getting the best players in the country. I don't see why, why can't Jim Harbaugh with that NFL pedigree as much of a superstar coach as there is in the country with all the resources in the world, 
why can't Michigan with this great academic brand and this incredible tradition, why can't they go out and be as good of a national recruiting program as any in the country? I don't understand. Yeah, Jeff Okud is not from Ohio. Chase Young is not from Ohio. Justin Fields is not from Ohio. Chris Olave is not from Ohio. Wyatt Davis is not from Ohio. J.K. Dobbins is not from Ohio. If Ohio State only lived on Ohio kids, they wouldn't be Ohio State. So, right. so the question is, what is wrong with the recruiting? You look at USC right now. USC has been blowing it in recruiting for a couple of years under Clay Helton, and everybody's been invading California, including Ohio State, and stealing kids out of there. And like USC made a big deal the other day. National college football people were going nuts because they hired the hype video guy from LSU who actually went to LSU from Ohio State because Ohio State's graphics and video department has been sending guys all over the place because Ohio State was an early adopter of those kind of things. But Clay Helton finally, with his job on the line, with Urban Meyer breathing down his neck, Clay Helton is figuring out, hey, we got to recruit better. So, again, I I'm, I'm keep asking you guys, like, could Jim Harbaugh change? Could Jim Harbaugh self-evaluate and look himself in the mirror and say, we need to change our recruiting strategy? I don't know that Jim Harbaugh looks in the mirror. Or maybe when he looks in the mirror, he doesn't see what we see. Will they reevaluate that, or will they keep getting the best player out of Massachusetts and think that's how they're going to beat Ohio State? I, I mean, I think they will reevaluate, but – because, I mean, even like the offense thing, I mean, he finally was like, all right, I'll hire Josh Gaddis. Not that he's some totally sought-after guy, but it was a big change for Jim Harbaugh to go out and do that. Um, so, yeah, I think they'll definitely do something. But, I mean, I think he'll continue to evolve. But um, my fear for Michigan's sake is that they'll never be proactive. They'll always kind of be reactionary which will leave them a step or two behind the premier programs. And my biggest confusion is just their – a lot of their strategy recently is confusing. My biggest confusion related to Michigan is just their recent strategy in Ohio. You know, since the beginning of time, at least going back to Bo, I mean, they have made their living in Ohio. I mean, think of all the great players that have come from Ohio, especially northern Ohio. I mean, Charles Woodson, Desmond Howard, Colas. I mean, the list goes on. So many – and to think they only had, they didn't have any players from Ohio in the 2020 class and only one so far in 2021, as we hear of, you know, another three-star guy from, from Massachusetts. It's like the thousandth rated guy in the country. And obviously, you know, rankings don't completely matter. Maybe they're uncovering diamonds in the rough here. But when Ohio State is taking, you know, maybe the, the first, second, and fourth best player out of Ohio, well, that leaves the third, fifth, 7th, 8th, ninth, 10th, 11th, and 12th best guy in Ohio, the guys Trestle would have used to get, and, you know, that Michigan or that, you know, maybe uh, Michigan State and Kentucky have kind of swooped in to get. It, it makes no sense why you wouldn't be getting that second tier, which clearly seems like it would be a much higher caliber than uh, kind of going into the Northeast. But just a lot of things that are, are, are confusing about Michigan strategy, and I think that one tops them all. And that's where I think they need to reevaluate and just start pounding Ohio again. And I really thought with with what Harbaugh's background was when he came to Michigan, you know, he got Andrew Luck out of Texas when he was at Stanford. He had all that experience in California. I thought he would have some recruiting inroads in Texas and California um, that, that he could rely on. I thought he's going to recruit because the offense, it's funny how things have changed. I think we all wrote about this last year. It's like, I thought Harbaugh was going to run a pro style versus Urban Meyer spread. So then like Harbaugh would go get like the best pro style quarterback in the country every year that Urban Meyer wouldn't even try to recruit. And now here we are, Harbaugh hired a spread guy and Ryan Day is running like a pro style offense. And like Dwayne Haskins would have been like a great Jim Harbaugh quarterback for the old days, you know, but, and we've somehow switched now. So I was surprised the quarterback recruiting. I thought Jim Harbaugh was going to go get like the guy every year and that they haven't gotten that straightened out is very strange to me. Um, but, but, and I, I want to move on to a couple more personal things with Harbaugh, but in the end, right. How would you evaluate Jim Harbaugh's tenure so far in terms of, has it been a success or not? However, you guys want to frame that, however much emphasis you want to put on the Ohio state game versus, you know, winning 10 games a year, Briggs, where are you and, and how you would evaluate this as, as good or not so good? I mean, overall, I think it's been it's been very solid, just in the sense that on the plus side, which is a lot, as Kyle mentioned earlier, there was a, 
high degree of apathy at the end of the Brady Hoke era. You know, we remember that, that, you know, two, two Cokes for, for two free tickets deal at the, at the gas station at the end, you know, empty seats in Michigan stadium, just a high degree of apathy. So Harbaugh, completely revitalized that, got everybody completely back. You know, it became a hot ticket again, just started, uh, I'm sure donations went crazy and just, you know, kind of made sure the, uh, the money machine was in full, uh, full bore. I, I do think we might be approaching a tipping point where, where, um, you know, people start to, I, I don't know, if you don't eventually take that next step, people will eventually get off the wagon. But so in that sense, it's been a huge success. I mean, just in terms of interest and raising Michigan's national profile. On the other side, when you look at the actual results, the inability to win big games, the inability to develop a quarterback, the inability to beat your rival, the inability to really do anything that Michigan fans actually thought he would do when he got there, it has been a failure. So when you balance those two things out, he's raised interest in the program. That's been good. But I don't think any Michigan fan would say that he has met their expectations of what they thought coming in. Roland, where are you? (laughs) I wouldn't say – I think failure is too strong. I think massive underachievement is correct. Sure. On the day Jim Harbaugh was hired, if you would have said – he's been – is it six years? Yeah, because I can remember very vividly, we were at, we the were national covering team. the national championship game the week of. We're in New Orleans, or yeah, we were in New Orleans, right? Is that where they played? No, we yeah. were. Yeah, yeah, no, we were at the uh, Sugar Bowl for Sugar Bowl for Bama, right? It's Ohio State's getting ready to play Bama in like the biggest game in however long for Ohio State, and one of the days of coverage was wiped out because. Michigan hired Jim Harbaugh, and it was like, right. holy moly, oh, Ohio State is peaking, and already here is Michigan's answer, right as Ohio State is cresting. And then it was like, oh, no, it's actually not <laughs> really an answer. So yeah. continue, Kyle. Yeah, no, I was just going to say, so six years ago, like the day he got hired, if you were to polled Michigan fans and said, hey, this is what your record's going to be every year, this is what the Ohio State scores are going to be – there is no way they would say, oh, yeah, that's fine. So I just laugh at the people who yeah. act like, oh, Jim Harbaugh's done great. Blah, blah, blah. Like, I, I just totally disagree with that. Um, yeah. you, you can't be uncompetitive to the level they've been against Ohio State, especially in years five and six. In the 2018 game, I mean, everyone kind of thought that was going to be a changing of the guard type game. I mean, most people thought Michigan was going to win. I certainly did. It felt like Ohio State was tailing off and that Urban maybe would be done after that year and who knew what the future held. And then even when Urban did retire, it was like, oh, oh I mean, now Ryan Day is going to step in and this is Harbaugh's chance. And, I mean, it just couldn't have gone any worse for him. Um, so, I mean, I think he's done a lot of good things. They've had good years. They're a top 15 program. But I, I – I honestly probably would have predicted that he would want a national title by now, and he hasn't even been to a playoff. Yeah. Yeah, to call him a failure is obviously, you know, using hyperbole there. But, it, it, you know, winning 10 games every year, you're right. I mean, their top 15 program, it just feels like – it just feels so clear that they've kind of hit that ceiling that's impossible to get over that hump. And, and even in addition like – They're going down a little now, too, which is another thing. Yeah, but even against struggling against Ohio State, I mean, I think he's probably two and seven in top ten games that that aren't against Ohio State. I, I don't know what the updated stat is there, but it's just yeah, it's just uh, that underachievement, massive underachievement, is probably the better way to put it for all the good that Harbaugh has done. The 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 other thing, the the quarterback thing is inexplicable to me. Right. I mean, is, I mean, Jake Rudock is the best guy they've had. I guess Spate was pretty good in sixteen, but. And I know people, I mean, love ripping on Shea Patterson or whatever, but, I mean, he had the requisite skills, and he clearly regressed in his yeah. years at Michigan. I mean, in year no- four and five, Harbaugh had a transfer quarterback instead of a homegrown guy, a transfer that had a lot of talent, like you said. I mean, a guy who was the number one recruit in the country, and after two years in the Michigan system, with some pretty decent talent around him, he regresses to the point where he's not even signed as an undrafted free agent after the draft. I think he was just signed by the Chiefs, but it's a very it's a very startling regression for uh, you know for a, a guy we all knew as a QB guru. And and what we see Ryan Day doing now with like, hey, it feels like 
quarterbacks want to come play for Ryan Day. That's what I thought it was going to be. Right, absolutely. Like, hey, Kyle McCord, he wants to play for Jim Harbaugh. Hey, C.J. Stroud, he wants to play for Jim Harbaugh. Justin Fields wants to – Justin, can you imagine? Again, <laughs> it's one of those things. Uh, it can be something that feels like a gigantic gap can close very quickly sometimes. If Jim Harbaugh would have been able to talk Justin Fields into going to Michigan and Tate Martell would have been Ohio State's quarterback last year, like we would not be having this conversation right now about Ohio State so far ahead of Michigan and what's wrong with Harbaugh. Justin Fields would have solved Michigan's problems overnight. But also, like Michigan's not even in the conversation for something like that. Roland, you owned the Justin Fields transfer story when you were reporting on all that, right? I mean, even the idea that Michigan – would even be in the mix for a player like that when he becomes available. That's just not now. Shea Patterson was big, was still pretty big when he transferred, but Justin Fields is next level, and Michigan was nowhere near that. And they are getting a five-star top twenty guy in the next class. But yeah, you're right. What Rollins? Like he, you, you weren't. He wasn't going to get. I mean, Michigan's not getting Justin Fields, Fields? right? Oh, yeah, Justin Fields. I mean, Ohio State all the way from day one. I mean, when it was announced before. Even the Sugar Bowl, I think, is what Georgia played in that year. I mean, no wavering whatsoever. Sought out Ryan Day. Um, and, and I do agree. I mean, it's got to be a startling thing for Michigan and for Jim Harbaugh to now all of a sudden see your uh, uh, rival school guy has overtaken you as arguably the biggest quarterback guru in college football. All right, so I want to get a little personal here with uh, with Mr. Harbaugh. Um because my interaction with him is I have like two kind of like little mini fights with him at Big Ten Media Day. So like <laughs> he always, when he's in a national setting like that, I mean, to me, he comes across as like defensive. He comes across as like, you know, like anytime you try to, he, he won't go into anything if you try to do like a bigger picture story. Just like very hard to pull anything out of him or have anything resembling like a normal journalist coach conversation that is happening with the other 13 coaches on a regular basis. Kyle, you went to Europe with Jim Harbaugh twice. Is that reflective of who he is or is that just who he is when he's sort of outside his comfort zone, but when he's with like the beat writers and he's not being maybe what he feels like is attacked, is he a different dude? Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, he's, Totally different dependent on the setting. Uh, in Rome and, and Paris on our just awesome week-long European vacations, uh, he was great on those trips. I mean, he, he really was. Um, I mean, we were with him pretty much, I mean, total all-access for those whole weeks. He was fun. He was funny. Uh, you saw him interact with his family, which was really interesting, I thought. Um my wife actually taught Jack Harbaugh, Jim's dad, how to take a selfie. So that was funny. Uh, nice. But yeah, I mean, he's just a total—he's just a total different guy depending on the setting. I mean, like his defense mechanism is to just like be combative. I think in those Big Ten media day settings and at the podium um, on like Monday press conferences. The one thing I've always and and other Michigan writers have have tried to do the same too with Dave Abloff, their SID. Uh, when in the uh, scrum settings, when he's just there and everyone kind of gathers around him, he's much, much better. In, in like that formal podium type setting, he's, he's very, very different. So we've always kind of wanted them to change that, but they never have. Briggs, we, we saw Harbaugh obviously was, was purposefully confrontational early on. With the, He had um, the exchange with Gene Smith, which I just thought was – Director Smith. Director Smith, I thought, was just, like, completely, like, unnecessary and, and weird. Um, and all the stuff that he was criticized for early, the shirtless camp thing and climbing the tree. But he has dialed back on that stuff. Um, like, when we talk about, oh, is he capable of change? It, Dave, do you think, like, he – it's weird I call you Dave. I never call you – Briggs. Frickin' Briggs. Like, do you think – that was – obviously a decision by him that maybe I'm not going to be quite as much like that. Is that some kind of proof that, yeah, he can change his stripes a little bit because he's not really 
maybe starting as many fights as he was early on. Sure, absolutely. And I think some people probably got to him as well, but he he was wasting so much of his time and energy just thinking about just thinking about these Twitter battles, whether it was poking fun at, at Gene Smith or, or taking shots at, at Michigan State, and he would he would kind of always do these very odd subtweets. And yeah, he's he's absolutely changed that. I think the some of the stuff was probably good, though. I mean, the, the shirt off, the sleepovers, the jumping in the pool with the recruits. I mean, he had his name everywhere. I mean, he was an absolute superstar for that first year, and, and the recruiting rankings showed it. I mean, he was he was having some pretty decent big-time success there. And, and um, you know, he was kind of the, you know, love him or hate him. He, was, he kind of had that it factor early on. And it feels like he just feels – I don't know what the strategy is. It just kind of feels like he's been out of sight, out of mind the last few years in the off season. You know, everybody kind of joked they were, they were always the champions of the off season. Now it's, it's, it's very different. And I don't know, I, I don't know what the strategy is there. I think it was obviously very good that he's not wasting his, his time and energy and, and frustration on, on picking kind of juvenile Twitter fights. But at the same time, he's also kind of lost what, what made him maybe kind of quirky and unique and, and interesting and different and probably did help their recruiting a little bit. So I don't know. There's probably a balance there. So the, the personal relationships that, that reporters are sort of able to have with uh, the head coach are, are always a big deal when you're covering a team. And not even necessarily personal relationships, but just like how you interact with each other at the podium or off to the side or whatever. But access is part of this. And this is a little like inside baseball kind of stuff. But I do think some of our listeners – care about this stuff. Kyle, as a beat writer at Michigan and versus being a beat writer covering Ohio State, from afar, the way Michigan appears to limit access and the way that Michigan seems to do a lot of things where they interview one of their players and then like put out the interview and then have people write off of that. They at least were doing that a couple years ago. A lot of that makes me very nervous as FWAA president. It makes me very nervous about like, is this where everybody's going to wind up? And I often end up being you know, pretty grateful that in comparison to me, it seems like our access to covering Ohio State is better than that. What was it like from an access standpoint covering Michigan versus covering Ohio State for you? I'll start by saying our our buddy Nick Baumgartner, who's now at The Athletic, he always says that at some point Michigan's going to have the media in like a windowless room watching the game on a closed-circuit television. But uh, um, it was de- – Ohio State's access – I think it's actually pretty decent. I know on the beat we complain about it at times. I don't think it's that bad. I mean, Harbaugh, you would get for a Monday press conference, he would be on a – he'd have a coach's show, and he would be on the Big Ten teleconference, which does not exist anymore. Um, And that would be it for the week. And he only talked Monday for like, I don't know, 13 minutes, whereas – Urban Meyer and Ryan Day will go on for like 45 minutes sometimes. Um, and then you'd have players on Monday, Tuesday, and then assistant coaches on Wednesday. I might have some of those days flip-flop, but that was the access for a week. I mean, I didn't think it was great. It was good enough that you were able to do your job, but it, it should have been better. You could have been able to do more stuff. Um, I mean, if you present ideas to the SID – Generally, they'll give you something if you need it. I mean, there, there were a few times where I needed Harbaugh for one-on-one stories, and, and they gave it to me. Um, but, I mean, I definitely think the access is better at Ohio State. Just the relationship, I think, between, like, players and coaches at Ohio State with the media are better. I, I don't know how much winning has to do with that. I mean, maybe people are in a better mood because Ohio State's winning and they're all happy and everything. Um, but – at times at Michigan, it just felt like an adversarial relationship, which isn't always really conducive to your work environment. I think that's a good point about the winning. I can't remember which one it was, but it was either after the Iowa loss or the Purdue loss, one of those years where it's like, I don't think we got access at Ohio State the next week. Like they just were like, we're not doing interviews. And it was like, nobody died, man. You lost a football <laughs> game. So I do think it's easy to talk when you're winning. And when basically everybody, the Ohio State beat is kissing your butt in every single question <laughs> for about for how good you are as a team. So I do think that is a point, whereas Michigan, you know, even when Michigan's winning, I assume a lot of the questions sometimes are sort of like, 
you know, yeah, but like, why can't you beat Ohio? You know, that there's always like a yeah, but sometimes buried when a program isn't having as much success as it should. So I will, I will give Michigan that out because I have been frustrated at times with Ohio State. And if Jerry Emig or Mike Bassford are listening to this, um, <laughs> Mike might be listening. What's up, man? Um, we think the access is really good. But if the coaches are mad because the team lost and they say we're not talking this week, there's nothing an SID can do about that. So I think Ohio State does give up us pretty good access, but it does aggravate me when it's like, well, you can talk when you're happy, but now you're not going to talk when you lose once every 20 months. Briggs, when you think about in general the future of our business, and especially with, with college athletics, which is not like dealing with the pros. It's not open locker rooms. It's not where each grown millionaire is sort of in charge of whether he wants to talk to the media or not. Do you ever get nervous about our future, or do you feel like, there's enough of a symbiotic relationship between the media and college football programs that we obviously need them to give us some access, but they might also need us. Do you think that will continue or do you ever worry that the big time programs will really, really shut it down and not let us talk to people as much? Yeah, I don't know. I guess there always is that worry. And, and we probably have seen it a little more at Michigan than others, like you said, with the, the in-house interviews. And, and one interesting thing is, I don't think – I know Kyle doesn't cover Michigan anymore either. I'd have to ask Ashley, our Michigan beat writer. But I don't think Harbaugh has even – has talked to the local media since their bowl game. So that means he didn't talk at signing day. He hasn't talked during all of this. He hasn't really talked to anyone except for uh, maybe a, a couple individuals. So, And how many times have you guys gotten Ryan Day, whether it's conference calls or signing day or whenever? Sometimes it just seems like, you know, maybe Ryan Day is – wants to, you know, catch up with his media friends. But, um, yeah, it's uh, – and by the way, going back to uh, the, the losing point, I did think that was very interesting. I mean, how many times can you remember the rare times a Trestle team lost? Who were the guys we got the next week? I mean, wasn't it what, – what was your favorite story from that, Doug? No, it's always like – it's like, oh, you lost to uh, Purdue? All right, long snapper, punter, right. and holder are the three guys <laughs> you get this week. And it's like, okay, like – I know, you know, I get it. You're mad you lost, but we still need to talk to Terrell Pryor, man. So it's like I do. <laughs> Ohio State does have that tendency at times. The coaches are very happy-go-lucky um, when they're winning, but they treat each individual loss like it's the end of the world. No, but I do think there is that symbiotic relationship. I mean, there's too much. Uh, you know, obviously there's there's certainly a lot to be gained by their own social media promotion. Ohio State probably has as good of a, you know, a promotional team in-house as, as any in the country in terms of communicating with the fans directly. But I think they do appreciate, and, and Michigan probably too, in, in some respect, the, the newspapers and the websites. I mean, there's so many options for Ohio State fans to, to go to. that, And uh, as much as fans, you know, the, the thing that always interests me is the fans who just consume every ounce of Ohio State minutia, and that's great, every college football minutia, they're the same ones who if, if, if a coach or if shuts something down, they're like, oh, that's good, I don't, just focus on winning the game, and they're the same ones who will be the first to complain that they're not getting the information that they want, so I do think there is that relationship that, that will continue to a large degree in the future, for sure. And I do think, I mean, again, I, I think Ohio State's access is as good as any big-time program. Absolutely. Program. Alabama only lets their doesn't let their assistant coaches talk ever, which is why the Alabama writers always go nuts at the bowl when you have access right. to these guys. Like Lane Kiffin was there. Lane Kiffin like never like talked to the media once a year. So Ohio State, we get regular access to the assistant coaches. We get the head coach twice a week. From you know, Trestle was always kind of a in filibuster mode, but Urban <laughs> and Ryan Day, I think both like answer your questions. If you want to talk about a particular angle or aspect of college football, they'll, they'll dive into that. So I, I do feel that most of the time at Ohio State, you, you get what you need, and then probably then some, as Jerry Emig says. And now I'm just kissing yeah. butt because I don't want them to get yeah. mad. Will, no, but I will say, no. Bonus I mean, coverage. Hey, guys, bonus <laughs> coverage. On the uh, – yeah. No, on that front, though, I mean, I do think there is – I've talked to Kyle and you guys about this, that I do think there is something to be said. You know, Ohio State – could come off as, you know, kind of this cold, unfeeling machine. And I, I kind of at every level, there's kind of a, a, a relatively pleasant face on it for our purposes. You know, whether it's Jerry, I mean, he kind of, you know, kind of keeps the atmosphere loose. And and I don't know. I mean, he's, he's the exact opposite of what you would think at a, a huge, you know, Fortune 500 cold 
droid-like machine operation. Eugene Smith is really good to deal with. I think we all like and respect dealing with him. He's very accessible. I don't think you could say that at a lot. Even working at Missouri before coming to Ohio State, it was impossible to get the athletic director on the phone. And I don't think I'd be able to get the Michigan athletic director, Ward Manuel, on the phone if I wanted to right now. And, uh, and Gene's always accessible. And then you guys have more experience with Ryan Day. But Urban Meyer, if you wanted a one-on-one in his office once a year for a, for a unique idea, you know, they were he was willing to do it. So it's uh, – that, which makes a good working relationship. So we'll, uh, we'll just keep kissing that and uh, hope it continues. All right. One last thing before I let you guys get out of here. I want to make sure I cover this. I have a, a terrible memory. Um, so I always rely on other people to help me remember my own life. So um, Kyle, you mentioned this, but I can't remember the exact specifics. What's the story of when I flipped off Briggs? What did I do? Why did I flip him <laughs> off? Breeze, you can tell it. I don't remember it, honestly. I mean, it was in the team room at the Woody Hayes before press conference. You, this was it, it was either 2013 or 14 when Doug was stressed out to the max every single day. <laughs> uh, was wasn't very friendly to us a lot of the time. Um, I, I don't know. Briggs said some smart aleck remark, and you flipped him off. Lori Schmidt then tried to intervene and you were just like, Lori, like just shut up. Like I'm pissed off at these guys. Like and it was just, maybe we were talking to him about the Browns and if ever, if Doug's ever yeah, like, it was like, you were like concentrate, you know, when you get in the zone before press conferences sometimes, and I'm always usually the, the one that you aim your criticisms and yelling at, like, because I'm trying to talk to you and you're like, I'm, this is a talk radio. Well, I'm the same way on deadline, but I mean, if Kyle ever, Kyle will, if there's deadline, it's like 10.55, the game's 15 minutes from ending, Doug has to have his thing in immediately, and Kyle will ask, like, this question, like, hey, Doug, like, what did you think about the Browns draft? And, like, and then Doug will just, whoa, this is not talk radio! Don't do that, just call in! (laughs) But, no, it's, uh... Yeah, that's all in good fun. Come on. <laughs> I do say that. This is not. I I do remember now that I said I do. I like hearing the stories of how because I think I am not. Well, I don't have all the beat responsibilities, but I really must have been just a royal jackass for a couple years because <laughs> I was screaming at everybody on the beat. I was getting in fights with people, and uh, I don't, <laughs> I don't do that quite as much anymore. So I do think my stress level has been reduced. Makes for good stories. Yeah. Can I, can I, can I ask another question? Yeah. This is talk. Briggs and I, (laughs) Briggs and I got in just a heated, heated debate last night. It ended with me nearly hanging up on him because we were just, I was accusing him of lying and all sorts of stuff. So Urban Meyer, I, I mean, unbelievable record at Ohio state, lost four conference games, undefeated against Michigan, won a title, blah, 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 blah. Do you think he underachieved, though? Yeah, now I know Bill and Ari did a whole podcast on this, I think, the other week. Um, did they? Okay. Uh, I, again, I, I, uh, I would say no because my threshold is competing for the playoff. And so the fact that they competed to be in the playoff, that every selection Sunday that Urban Meyer was the coach um, in the playoff era, you were like, are they in? Are they going to make it? Even in 15, it was like, well, they somehow – you know, that they're always in the mix. And so should it's they about the won- journey, not the destination. Yeah. That, and that's the thing I think for fans is that it's great to, it's great to, to win it. But the best thing is to have your team be in the mix for three months. And that, you know, if your team comes out, if you're Ohio state and you come out and you lose two of your first four and you're two and two, you're out of it. Like you're out of it. You're out of the fun. So that they were able to play at a level where they were always in it. Um, no, I wouldn't say underachievement. I mean, the 2015 thing will hang over them forever because they had a chance to be a mini dynasty and they blew it. But then the 2016 team overachieved. The 2016 team was a 9-3 and team that went 11-1 and and made the playoff. That was a freaking miracle. With that young of a defense, no real offensive weapons, a cluster calling with the play calling with Warner and Beck. Um, Urban did a really good job. He made some bad decisions. He made a bad decision when Tom Herman left, and it threw a monkey wrench into the middle of their program for two years. And if he would have gone straight from Tom Herman to Ryan Day, 
we would remember his tenure differently. But he made he made one gigantic mistake in promoting Ed Warner when he was promoted above where he should have been, and in the Tim Beck hire. And then Urban himself, he's still on the hook himself. He's an offensive guy. That's the offensive side of the ball that failed. That offensive situation for two years is what kept them from maxing out. But I think everything else, every other part of it, um, did what they sh- they did what they should have done. And uh, I think they got screwed by the committee a couple times. I think the perception of the Big Ten hurt them. I think they were a playoff level team in 17 and 18. I think sometimes you lose. Like, I, you know, the Purdue and Iowa losses are bad, but, like, it's hard to go undefeated. So I, I definitely would say no. I w- they did not underachieve. I think that is, is too harsh of a word. Where are you guys on that? I'm uh, I'm with you, Doug. I mean, I I agree. I mean, you look at I mean, if if you say they should have won this year or that year, you also have to acknowledge they probably shouldn't have won in 2014. Acknowledge that they could have easily won in 2012. I forget what it would have looked like going at the BCS rankings, but at least as we go back and remember it, it probably would have been Ohio State and Notre Dame, and that could have been a second national title. Then you had the you know right on the bubble of those playoffs. And, um, yeah, it's just hard when you, when you beat Michigan every year, when you win all those Big Ten titles, when you win a national championship. I understand the argument when you look at just the historic nature of the recruiting, all those first-round picks. It's easy to say they should have won more than one. But when you're in the thick of the mix every year, you beat Michigan every year, and you, you hand off the program at the height of the powers, it's hard to say anything. It, I don't think he overachieved, but I don't know how you say he underachieved. And also, the reason you would think he underachieved is because he's the one who brought in the recruits who raised the level of talent to higher right. than it had ever been at Ohio State, which would then lead you to think he should have won more national titles with him. But, Roland, you do think he underachieved. I mean, yeah. And, and I'm, I don't think – I'm not trying to be like <laughs> an artist or anything. Like, he was unbelievable. Like, all that, I mean, probably the greatest stretch in school history, unless, I don't know, Briggs wrote in 2006, natural title, but never mind. Um, no, the, uh, I, I just think relative to, like, Alabama and Clemson in the same period, like, they had multiple national titles. Ohio State had just as good a talent. So, they're, like, if he had two national titles, I don't think he would have underachieved, is basically what I'm saying. And I guess my argument would be that in a seven-year stretch, if you take any seven-year stretch in Ohio State football history and say you won one national title in seven years, is that overachieving or underachieving? It's like the argument for underachieving is he raised the bar so high that he then underachieved relative to the bar that he raised. Right. Yeah, yeah, kind of like almost like Thad Mata in the Ohio State basketball program. It's like he was a victim of his own success. That Jim Trestle won one national title in ten years, but nobody would anyone say that Trestle underachieved one national title and lose in two other title games was that underachievement by Trestle? I certainly have never had anyone bring up that discussion. Yeah, not. I mean, I don't think really. When when actually you could look at Trestle and say, given who Ohio State was, he should have been recruiting at a higher level. They should have been getting more national guys than they were back then, which would have raised their bar. Trestle, I think, would not have underachieved to his bar. But his talent bar was lower than Urban. So it just I, I think you have to set the foundation of what you mean by underachievement. If you look at the 14 guys in the or, or the 10 guys in the whatever it was in the first three rounds of the 2016 NFL draft and say, how did you not win a national another national title with those guys? But again, they're in 13, they're right there, and Braxton Miller gets stopped on fourth down. In 15, they lose the one game they can't lose. Um, I don't know. I think it's I think it's hard. It's like what he, did, he lost nine games in seven years, right? And it's like yeah. if if you say he underachieved, you're saying, well, you should have only lost seven games in seven years. No, no, it, those two wins would have given you then opportunities that you didn't have. Yeah, I mean, it's a little over the top. I get it, but I'd be I'd be very curious to know. I mean, just totally off the record amongst friends, like being truthful, what Urban would say. I think Urban would say, I made a bad hire in 2015 and it cost us the national title. That I think he would say. It just, I don't know that there's any dispute there. They, had, they brought back 90% of a national championship team. They had more talent in 15. And the fact that, that they not only lost to Michigan State, but that offense looked as bad as it did for 10 weeks leading into Michigan State. They struggled with Northern Illinois with Ezekiel Elliott, Michael Thomas, 
JT Barrett, Cardale Jones, Jalen Marshall, Taylor Decker, Billy Price, Pat Elfline, Jeff Hiram. I guess not Hiram. He might have gotten Nick Finette. Like they struggled with Northern Illinois. How, how different would that season have been? Is if in when spring practice started, if Urban said gathered the team around, is like, okay, everyone, listen, like the Cardale thing, we caught lightning in a bottle. JT's our guy, and he's playing every snap this season. I think they win the national title. I think he failed. I think that's on Urban. The, the, the coaching hire, the offensive coordinator situation was wrong, but Urban is the decision maker on who your starting quarterback is. And I think a lot of people were shocked that he went with Cardale, and I think if he would have done that, they say that JT didn't compete in the spring, or excuse me, in August very well for that job because he was in his own head a little bit. He was coming back from the injury. He knew he was in a fight for the job, and he didn't play his best. If you would have told him, you're our guy, you don't lose your job because of an injury, you put your body on the line in the game that I care about the most, Cardale did his job next man up, but we go back to the first man when he's healthy. You are the guy. Get healthy, and it's your job. God, I'm inspiring myself. You're right, (laughs) Roland. You're right. You're totally right. Because I think the reason JT didn't win the job was because of a lack of confidence, and Urban had the opportunity to inject that confidence in him, and he didn't. And then the back and forth with the quarterbacks, by the time they got to Michigan State, JT wasn't his best self because he hadn't been the quarterback the whole year. And if he had been the quarterback the whole year, they would have been, they would have found a way to figure out the offense in the rain against the Spartans and win that game. So, yes. All right, maybe I'm on Roland's side. I don't know. I think Urban blew that. Maybe I am on your side. It was right there for the taking. I just still would love to know the conversation between uh, Cardell had when he uh, was at Glenville announcing that he was coming back, stunning everyone. If Urban, if Urban suggested to him that this is your job to lose if you come back, you're an icon, you're a hero, come on back, let's do it again. I just, I would just love to know what what went into Cardale's thinking, what was what, what that conversation was like, because, yeah, I mean, obviously an unexpected dilemma, to say the least. Yeah, too many good quarterbacks. Like, they had too much talent. And they also had Braxton. They screwed up working Braxton into the offense that year, too. I mean, the idea, Braxton Miller had been a hero for this program. He saved Urban's first two years. And then they're trying to shoehorn him in as – an H-back, which he really wasn't. I mean, that was half the problem that year, too. All the direct snaps to Braxton and trying to do fancy stuff with him. And it's like Ezekiel Elliott and Michael Thomas <laughs> are, like, standing around like, dude, could we get the ball a little bit more? And, by the way, Curtis Samuel is backing up Braxton, saying, like, I'm better than him at this. Please give me a chance. And he didn't get to play either. Good conversation, boys. So, to be clear, I like you, right? It doesn't matter if you like me, but I want to love you. I want the world to know <laughs> that Briggs and KR are my guys. So um, thank you for joining me here on Buckeye Talk. Thanks to you guys for listening. Um, try the text, 614-350-3315. On behalf of Briggs and Roland, I'm Doug, and that was Buckeye Talk. <laughs>